Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Well, Pastor Alex, here we go again. Man, we've been doing this for a while, and I forgot that we updated our our intro song. I was well, that was a long time ago. I know, I, but what I've been singing for the past five minutes off the air yeah. for all of our great yeah. listeners out there was the old version. Here's the funny thing uh, for our listeners out there. It both was off the air and is not off the air. We have it recorded. <laughs> Your version of the intro song, which was the old intro song. That makes more sense, though, why you were why, why you were doing that, and why other people didn't uh, in the room, not Chris, didn't understand what I was singing because it was the old one. Yeah, the really old one. Yeah, the really old like one. Like two and for years some ago. Some reason that is what I expected to hear right now, and I didn't. So anyway, that's amazing and uh, not relevant at all oh, to the conversation yeah. we're having today. So Zephaniah chapter two. Yeah, I love this sermon, by the way. Good job. Oh, thanks, Chris. <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, I'm, laugh- just, I'm I, laughing because we're recording this before you preach yeah, it. I just appreciate your support. I do. In, I, I, in I love advance. it. You're like that mocking support that's not true. I, I, it, you know, honestly, where you're taking it, I think it's going to be great. But with that said, there's a few tidbits that we'd love to talk about. That it's not that they don't belong in the sermon, but if we did sermons like this, it would be three hours. <laughs> And people would not stay because they already give me a hard time for 40 or 42 minute sermons. A three hour sermon would get us in massive trouble. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And some of the, this is today's, at least my portion of it is just kind of fun. Like, yeah, let's just have some fun with the text of scripture. My portion's not fun. Yes. Because I'm never fun. Yes. Zero fun, sir. So there's some animals in verse 14 you want to talk about. Yeah. Chapter 214, herds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts, even, I'm reading from the ESV right now, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold for cedar work will be laid bare. Uh, I love the little, the Hebrew joke there. And I did some, some work on that term hoot, like the owl is in the capitals. And basically the idea that I go, that I will go into because we're recording this sure. a couple days before is just the just the utter devastation that Nineveh is this big, great, mighty capital city, and it's going to be at the place where where people used to once live. Now there are these desert creatures <laughs> that take lodging because yeah. uh, the the destruction is so complete. However, where I want to go with the podcast, just because it's fun, is an owl and a hedgehog. Like yeah, and this is this is just translation is so interesting. So I'm gonna just read through please a couple different translations of this verse. So that was ESV. Let's read the NIV chapter or chapter two fourteen. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their hooting will echo through the window. Hey Chris, let's go over to the NASB. Okay. Both the pelican and the hedgehog will lodge in the top of her pillars. That's weird. Yeah. How about the net Bible? Yeah. Owls will sleep in the top of its support pillars. That's it? The, just owls. So there's no hedgehog at all. The, there's no hedgehog. What happened Let's, to Sonic? I, I don't know. Let's go over to the to the ASV. i got to find the... Uh, doo, doo, doo. This is Zephaniah. Yeah, 214, single daughter... Uh, both the pelican and the porcupine shall lodge in the mm. capitals... Thereof. The and porcupine. Then, 
and then the Christian Standard Bible, both eagle owls and herons. Ooh. And uh, the, what is an eagle owl? I don't even know. Yeah, it's an eagle owl. Interesting. That's uh, they tra- they translated it the eagle owl. But do you know why heron and hedgehog would be the two options? Do you have any idea? I don't. I don't at all. I'm just asking if. No. Well, so I'll I'll get into what I read about. But, oh, but one yeah. one more is the the couple commentaries I read this week. I read the NAC and uh, the NAC New American Commentary and the. Um, Nicot, New International Commentary on the Old Testament. Nicot translated it the vulture. Oh. And made the connection to the um the desert situation. Hmm. So Well, I know that when it says in Isaiah that it, that you will rise on wings like eagles, it's actually like pigeons. Oh. But nobody wants to leave pigeons in that verse because that's less encouraging. You don't want to fly like a pigeon, you want to fly like an eagle. Yeah. I want to fly like a peacock. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just interesting. So so pulling out, so doing some Hebrew study here. Well, the first we have like herds, right? Herds shall lie down in their sure. midst. All. So yeah, so that's like flocks, herds. That's very sometimes translated sheepfold. So very mm-hmm. general, all kinds of beasts. That's just kind of animals usually used of a wild animal, not necessarily like um, domesticated animals. But then these two other words. So the first one is just a species of unclean bird. So could be I, the um, one of the commentaries says it could be a goose, a pelican, an owl, a jackdaw, which I don't even know what that is. Mm. Uh, any types of bird that is often found among desert ruins. So that's where vulture might be sure. kind of put in there as the idea. Um and as we both know, Hebrew can be really terse, meaning one little word can have 20 different meanings. Right. They don't care about the specificity of the species like we do today. Right. All they're saying is it's a bird that exists in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. In ancient Hebrew too, and this is where this like this goes to translation, there are Hebrew words that we're not really sure the exact right. referent of this word. And it actually, I think it mostly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, it's mostly centered around actually animals. Yeah. Like Leviathan. Like, we're not sure. What's the Leviathan? What's the what's the other one in Job? The, oh, a behemoth. Animals. Yeah, the behemoth. The yeah. behemoth and the leviathan, leviathan. We're like, what is that? I don't know. Is it, is it a rhino or is it right. a mythical creature? Sure. Ah, who knows? Same here. And then hedgehog. Like, any, uh, the that term can reference a hedgehog, a short-eared owl, a rough bustard. Be very careful how you pronounce yes. that. Yes, that's good. That was well done. And a bittern, B-I-T-T-E-R-N, or a porcupine, or could be an owl or a hedgehog. Now, to me, like, a lot of these seem similar except an owl and a hedgehog. Like, one flies, one doesn't. Totally, you totally. Know? But uh, it's just interesting. It's funny how it's not really clear what the referent is yeah. the the root word of this term means to roll up the cough pay dollar like it means to to roll up so that's why you have uh the hedgehog here like yeah. hedgehogs roll up uh but yeah well but so, that's interesting but it's just it's just funny it's just interesting like i can imagine an ancient kid with really big eyes and spiky hair and they call him this word and it's funny on multiple levels yeah do you know what i'm saying that's probably where Sonic came from. Dude. That's probably. So anyway, it's funny. There's, there's, uh, if you read this in different translations, you'll be like, wait, these are like completely different. 
Are they owls? Do they fly? Do they not fly? I think, you know, basically what Zephaniah is trying to to get across is that this place, this capital where mm-hmm. in the in the headwaters of these two great rivers, yep, flowing with water, lush, green, productive on their own merit and their own pride, right? Because verse 15, this is the exultant city right. that lives securely, that said in their heart, I am and there is no one else. We're going to dig into that later. Look at this, the next verse. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Like yeah. these desert creatures that you don't see very often. Like I don't see owls very often. Right. I don't see, well, hedgehogs aren't really native to Northern Illinois, but Correct. they're not like these they're not like pet creatures. Right. They're like creatures that live out in the wild. And this place is so utterly deserted and deserted that these yeah. desert animals now are like living there. And they're hooting. And they're hooting. And that like what a what a great little joke. Like yeah. the, the that term hoot there is the idea of like singing or crying out. And that's what they're doing. The, that's awesome. The owls are crying out. What is what is the sound an owl makes? It's a hoot. The owl hoots and says in the window, devastation is on the thresh- threshold. Cedar work is laid bare. So, I love it. Animals in Zephaniah too. That's pretty sweet. And that last idea there of the desolation kind of leads into the, the part that I want to talk about with this passage. And I'm going to run through a super fast history lesson for folks. But this might be one of those things where you go grab an atlas or you maybe open up a web browser with an atlas and you just kind of follow along with the idea here. But I want to I want to talk about two things really quick. The first one is what happened in the Holy Land as far as Israel's influence and how did it get muddy uh, throughout history, and then number two, what are these nations in Zephaniah two and how do they get dealt with? Because uh, they're all mentioned. That you've got all these ones that you're going to read on on Sunday, yep. and every one of these uh, just don't exist anymore. So you go, right. okay, what happened? Okay, so here's here's kind of the, the my brief history of the Holy Land as fast as I can get it. And I wrote this all down for folks to follow along. But if you can imagine, just maybe, you know, look at a map of Jerusalem and imagine Egyptian influence from 1450 to 1350 BC. So notice the dates are going to go down and then they're going to go up. So the Egyptians ran it. In fact, we didn't go to Bet Sha'an in Israel when I went with the trip and I was I'm not going to go there with you when we go, whenever mm-hmm. we get to go next. But there's an actual stella from Egyptian uh, on top of this hill, way inside of Israel territory that, yeah. that dates to about this time. Huh. So we know the Egyptians had influence. And then all of a sudden they just pull back for some reason. And then this new thing shows up and and they eventually name their, themselves you know, the rulers of the land called yeah. Israel. And David becomes their king in about 1000 BC. Then... The kingdom splits apart, and Israel falls in 722 BC, and then Judah, the what's left of Israel, falls in 586 BC to the Babylonians. And then if you're reading Daniel, you'll notice that Persia takes over after that, and they rule until about 539 BC, and then they actually send the Jews back into the land to rebuild and do some things. Mm-hmm. Then in 333 BC, Alexander the Great comes in, and he wipes them out. And then they, there's a lot of struggling then for power from, you know, the 300 BC range till about 63 BC when Pompey, the Roman, conquers this land and then it becomes Roman occupied. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed and then it remains Roman and then turns into Byzantine, which is just a break off of the Roman Empire until about 500 or so AD. And then there's kind of a scurry for power a little bit and then around 636 uh, AD, pretty early in the, the Arab 
Muslim uh, time frame because Muhammad 622 is usually when he, you know, most mm-hmm. say that that's when it all came to be. So if you think 636 AD, the Arabs take over, then there's all these crusades, but then it remains Arab underneath the, the realm of what's called the Ottoman Empire until 1830. And then in 1830, Ottomans still rule, but with less of an intensity until the British take over in 1918 after World War II, uh, I, partly because Ottomans were involved in World War I and lost. So the British take over in, in 1918. And I wanted, uh, in 1914, just to give everybody a frame of reference, because I think people think that the Jews didn't come to the land until 1947. But in 1914, there were 535,000 or so Muslims, 70,000 Christians, and 85,000 Jews living in the Holy Land. So I I want people to hear, the Jews never left. They were always there, some remnant of them. The rest of them got scattered and thrown all over the place and go and live all over the world. Then after 1947, Britain lets go of their hold and says, you guys can have your own people. And then Jews just come back in in mass and they declare their independence in May 14th of 1948. And right in May 14th, 1948, I thought this was interesting to point out in, in this podcast quick, the U.S. and the USSR both in 1948 made Israel a nation together. Those two didn't agree yeah. with each other yeah. at that point in history. And they both said, yep, we recognize you as a nation. And now it's like all kind of weird that things are a little tense there again. Right, right. And to your point, though, they recognized them as a nation because there were many Jews already there. Like, it's not like, I think sometimes people get confused, especially anti-Israel, pro-Palestine supporters will say, well, there were no Jews until 1949. Then all of a sudden, like kind of as a, we're sorry the Holocaust happened. We're going to squeeze you in there. Yep. They were already there. And that's the story we often hear, but that's not exactly the full story. And that word Palestine is first used by the Greeks way back when the Greeks were ruling in 333 BC and on. They started naming it Palestine to sort of pull out the Israel influence mm-hmm. because they didn't, you know, they had conquered Israel. So they're like, why are we going to leave it named Israel? Let's name it our own thing. Yep. And then the Romans picked that up and so on and so forth. So just so everyone knows, that's that's this region, and it's super intense. And I, want you, I wanted you to hear all those nations that kind of moved in, partly because of where I'm about to go. So what Zephaniah 1 is saying is Israel doesn't live up to their bargain. Zephaniah 2 is saying these nations also are going to be judged by me, says God. And so I want to really quick, and this is going to be really fast, talk about, all right, what happens to the nations? So if you're reading Zephaniah 2 with me, there's four cities named pretty early in the chapter, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron. And those are all ruled by whom in the Old Testament? That's the Philistines. Correct. There are five major cities. Uh, this is part of the reason why Delilah makes the deal with the Philistines and gets 5,000 parcels of gold or whatever it is, because she takes one from each of these th- th- these yeah. five cities. But at the time of Zephaniah, there's only four of them left. And so this is the land of Gaza. This is still Gaza today. This is part of the reason why Israel doesn't actually rule this little strip of land. They mm-hmm. really hardly ever have at any point in history. Right. Okay. But they get wiped out shortly after Zephaniah, and they don't even exist hardly in history anymore, although they would still say, we're Gaza, this is us, this is our thing. Then there's the Carathites, which uh, it might be pronounced correctly, no one really knows where this name comes from, and we think that's either the Philistines or the Canaanites, maybe some kind of like fun term that's used of them for that. Then it talks about the Canaanites and the Philistines, which are both cursed uh, from Ham. And the Philistines are just this weird group that just show up out of nowhere. They, they call them the Sea People. Right. And they show up at some point before that Egyptian influence. 
and they sort of take over the land and then they become all but folded into Canaanite culture around 1000 BC. And then it talks about, sorry. Well, there's, there's a really famous Philistine. Big one. Yeah. He's a very tall. Yeah, Goliath. Goliath and his so brothers. and That's kind of how we yep. hear and know about the Philistines, but they're, they're not like a super huge nation right. in there. And the yeah. one, and well, and we also, so that story and then back to that Samson story that we talked about, those two are kind of the big, the biggest stories in the Old Testament that talk about these Philistines. But what's interesting is Zephaniah is using them here. They almost don't exist at this point. And Zephaniah is saying they have not done what they're supposed to do. God's going to wipe them out, which is interesting. Yeah. Then he talks about Moab and Ammonites, which are both relatives of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go into total yeah. detail here about who these two are because uh, it's just kind of creepy and weird. Yeah. Cousins, you could say. Yeah. Weird cousins, inbred cousins, you might say. So if you want to read that story, go back and and read in Genesis about what Lot and his daughters do. Uh, But you'll find Moab and you'll find Ben-Ami there. And that's, these are two nations that are cousins to Israel, but have never treated Israel well. In fact, they're two of the main threats in the book of Judges. And so if you think about this, so far, we've got all these threats to Israel and Zephaniah is saying, they're all going to be gone. Yeah. They're going to be gone, gone, gone. And I think what's important about these, these threats are maybe smaller in comparison to the ones we're getting to. Correct. But nearer geographically. Absolutely. And so uh, Cush is the next one. That is modern-day Ethiopia. That nation, all but it just disappeared after the Romans took over. And we don't even know where Cush really went, or Cush, you might say. Cush is not Egypt. Egypt, it's it's like the... The same thing, maybe. It's the lower, it's lower Egypt into Ethiopia. So there were Cushite kings that ruled in Egypt from time to time, but Cush is a little further south. Usually it's like the land of gold and mountains. Uh-huh. So if you were to see Egypt split in, in, in its multiple kingdoms, uh, which I'm really bummed about because I, you know, I really want to go to Egypt with a group and show them, you know, how this all plays out. But yeah, Cush is right on the edge of e- Egypt into Ethiopia. Um, all right. I am not modifying my sermon notes right now. <laughs> Okay. That's great. And then finally, uh, Assyria. Assyria no longer exists. The Babylonians destroyed it, and then the Persians take over, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. So back to that thing I told you about a little bit ago. These major world powers that we read about in in school all had terrific influence in Israel at this time during Zephaniah's rule or or discussion, his his proclamation of, of God's news. And then they have huge influence all the way till the time of Jesus and then beyond. But Assyria lives on to some extent. I mean, it's right. not really Assyria, but the nation that we call Syria, they call that name Syria because they're, they're tying back to their history well, as Assyria. And I have met people. I had a friend when I lived in Chicago who introduced herself as Assyrian. Sure. And I said, I said, I thought. Assyria didn't, I forget, I was like, forgive me for my ignorance, but I thought Assyria doesn't exist. And she said, and she wasn't offended, but was kind of defensive. She's like, we don't as a nation, but Assyrians still exist. Isn't They're that still interesting? A large group of people who are Assyrian, but we don't have our own nation now. We live scattered amongst, you know, a no way. Nations. Yeah. That's the coolest story about that. I've, 
But that's the same thing of the Israel thing that yeah. we just talked about. Yeah. So just because you no longer have a nation and no have, longer have land that you can call your own sovereign land does not yeah. mean that you've ceased being a people. And I think it's it's such a uh, modern and dare I even say Western mindset to think that like by drawing political borders, <laughs> we have right. like made unity. But you look at a lot. Of, well, you look at the Balkans, right? The Balkans was sure. once like Yugoslavia. Right. But there were so many different ethnic groups in there, and the powers that be at the time were like, totally. okay, we're just going to draw these borders, and you're all going to be ruled by one, one king, nation, emperor, whatever. But they're so, such distinct groups. Yeah. And then now, later, all those distinct groups are balkanizing. That term comes from the fact that sure. they all split up. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the colonial powers famously have done this with Africa. Like, oh, totally. These tribes that don't get along and have never done anything with each other, we just, like, draw some lines by we, I, you know, yeah. whoever does it, draws the humans, draw the lines and say, these are now the political boundaries, and now you're all the same country and all have the same, like goal and unity and it's like no you don't and so you have assyrians who are a ethnic group in a country that does not belong to their own and just because there's not a country called assyria doesn't means doesn't mean that those assyrians aren't you say same thing with israel up until you know end of the 1940s there are still plenty of israelis or jews all over the world and in israel in that land doesn't mean they're not there just because they don't have their own country. Exactly. And that's the point I wanted to make in this second part here, which is really, really helpful. We live in America where our boundaries are pretty set, yeah. although the southern one's been a little wobbly for the last few years, mm-hmm. more so than it ever has before. And Texas might be its own country one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you think about that, we just think we're crossing now into Canada, right? We even have signs that say, you're crossing to Wisconsin or you're going to Iowa. We see delineations that are there because we've lived with this our whole life and we've just accepted it as a people and we've said, right. this is it. But like Iraq, for example, part of the issue with, with bringing peace to Iraq, which has not really gone well, is you've got multiple tribes, people all being told, this is your nation now. And they're like, well, no, we're Turks. We actually belong more with the Turkish empire just to the north. Right. Or I'm a Shia or I'm, I'm a Sunni. I, I don't agree with them at all. I'd rather live in this region, but you're telling me that we're all now one nation. Right. We just think everybody's going to become a melting pot and join America, so to speak. That hasn't been true historically. We're like the weirdest nation for that being just kind of accepted and commonplace for us. Right, right. Well, and even we tried to like, idealize it and be like oh yeah everybody in this nation is you know homogenizing but then we also forget that we have a lot of you know first first american Mm -hmm. populations within the borders of our country that are not a part of our country exactly and because there's an ethnic group there that says we're independent and our government has their ways of dealing with them but that happens all over the world totally and so you have you know places in the middle east where that happens a lot more you have ethnic pockets that aren't necessarily on board with being ruled by a political entity that they didn't exactly. choose. And that's part of what's happening with Gaza right now. Yeah. It is you have a people that do not claim to be Jewish living in a land near the Jewish state and don't they don't agree with each other. They may never agree with each other. So part of what you're sensing is this tension that we just talked about. Oh, man. Have you seen that map? I'm sure you've seen that map of like the whole West Bank and, and mm-hmm. where the different settlements are and there's just like uh, there's this whole blending of pockets of where people live and what's ruled by israel what's administered by israel what's ruled by palestine and what's administered by palestine 
Um, that is crazy. I'm going to put that in the show notes. I have seen it and it's really, really helpful. Uh, so the last thing that we're going to talk about is you have an interesting idea from the statement made in verse 15. What yeah. is that about? Sorry. I'm, I know we're looking at maps now, like, but it's all good stuff. I'm like maps and Israeli districts. What do they call it? I don't know. Chris will put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll find it. Uh, just, I saw it recently and I thought it was really good. Let's see. This is verse 15. Let me scroll down there. Uh, this is the exultant city that lives securely that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. And so, again, w- working through translation stuff, I was like, oh, there's a little I am there. You know, our ears are always always perk up when we see I am. Is that a reference to the name God calls himself, Yahweh, mm-hmm. in uh, Exodus? And then it gets picked up some other times and used by God in other places and used by actually Jesus himself when he says ego a me. So I just, I was interested. I, I thought, man, is that a reference? But it's it's not the same word here. It's ani. It's just, um, you know, another way to say I am, but it's not the name of God. But I think you can also, uh, like, push it to a place of, like, it, it's kind of that false I am, like, Nineveh Assyria said I am like there's there's me I exist and I'm the one and there's no one else no one else is in front of me there's a huge amount of pride in that and it's all going to come down because they weren't what verse 3 told them to be which is to humble me seek the Lord all you humble the land so just a little interesting little tidbit I dug into it um wasn't what I thought but still interested by it well, and so let's let's dig into that for just a second, because I think I think there's a point that you're making there that I'd love to bring a little clarity to. Um, I, I the wordplay here might be that because they're not I am, that this ani might be actually saying that word to sort of make you translate it as I am, but it's lowercase as opposed to Yahweh, the name of God. So it's almost like a play on words, sort of back to the hoot that happened in the verse before. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So there might be some kind of neat little connection here saying they're calling themselves I am, but it's not the real I am because here's the real I am and here's what he's capable of and here's what he's all about. And that would make people go, oh, I see that. That's interesting. Whereas a Jew, you maybe would notice that, but we wouldn't notice it today because we have no idea. Right. This The term used here definitely falls short of the name of God, which is intentional because Assyria falls short of the name of God. Yeah, I like that. So, that's it. All right, we have just thrown a whole bunch of little things at you uh, in the middle of Zephaniah chapter 2. Some of them were super fun, like Alex's part, and some of them were super boring, like my part. Is that what I heard? No, all, all very interesting to me. Sounds good. So interesting. <laughs>